Hello again. Welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast with me, Simon Longfellow. And me, Marcus De Silva. On the programme this week, song rights and song promoters. What's been happening with Wirecard? Sharp ups and downs in the markets as the US look to stimulate their economy. And in the big investment, following our section on government bonds last week, we look at debt issued by companies this week. So in other words, corporate bonds. We look at how they work, what the benefits and risk of using them are, and we shine a light on a few examples of the different flavours of corporate bonds out there. But before we get into all of that, Marcus has been reviewing the week in the stock markets and is here with the analysis. What's been happening this week, Marcus? Yeah, it's been a bit of a mixed bag this week. Trading volatility is definitely continuing as investors are eagerly awaiting to see what juicy policy details emerge in the second round of US fiscal stimulus. Also, the Bank of England has come out and said interest rates are going to remain at 0.1% for the moment, which is putting to bed any concerns of moves into sub-zero territory, which is possible. So as this edition was recorded, the Democrats and Republicans are still working their way through the details on a second stimulus package for which Congress hopes to be voting on a bill for next week. It means that markets are sort of waiting in suspense and not making any meaningful moves. The US currency, which has been weakening for a while, continues to weaken in part as investors move out of the safe haven currency, but also as fears brew over whether the US economic recovery is going to lag its developed market peers. Emerging markets across Europe, Middle East and Africa, which can all be quite reactive to the US, have mostly been rising this week, all pricing in really that the second round of stimulus is a done deal, and also that the currencies are benefiting from this weakness in the dollar. In the UK, the bank gave a fairly grim assessment of our road to recovery, saying GDP would not surpass pre-pandemic levels until likely the end of 2021, and also predicting that employment would reach around 7.5% at the end of the year. Interestingly, for those worrying about the potential of inflation, it said this would likely remain quite low for the, for the moment. The Consumer Price Index, the CPI, one measure of inflation, they said would likely reach around quarter of a percent at the end of the year and not get anywhere near the bank's target of 2% for another two years. All in all, with rates at 0.1% for the moment, that is likely to not change for a while. And also, they talked about the risks associated with negative interest rates, making it less likely they're going to move into that territory. And in particular, the damage that that could have on financial services which are an outsized part of the UK economy when compared to, to other economies. Elsewhere, we're seeing gold, a safe haven asset, continue its climb. It's now at £1,557 per ounce, and it started the year at £1,151 per ounce. So that's continuing. And also in oil, we're seeing some recovery somewhat in the price of oil. The two most popular grades are WTI, the West Texas Intermediate, and also Brent crude. They're both now above $40 and around five months highs, which is pretty good. And it's also sending oil majors 
their shares up in trading. Okay, good stuff. Let's have a look at some of the companies in the news this week. And in a story that has been running for a while and probably will do uh, for some time to come, German tech firm Wirecard has been in the papers again. German businessman Christopher Bauer, who was under investigation by Philippine authorities, has been reported dead. He and his wife were reportedly one of the biggest sources of Wirecard's profits. In other related news, David Einhorn, the head of the fund management firm Greenlight Capital, said that Wirecard was a fraud hiding in plain sight, and he has criticised the company's auditors and the regulators when they failed to investigate uh, claims that the company had been fraudulent. Chinese social media TikTok has come under fire uh, this week over news that the Trump administration has threatened to ban it from the US, forcing them to consider a takeover by US tech giant Microsoft. One of the larger social media influencers on their platform, 18-year-old Josh Richards, announced this week he was leaving TikTok to become the chief strategy officer at rival platform Triller. No, I hadn't heard of it either. Triller is a US-based platform and has the backing of rapper Snoop Dogg. Richards is paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for promoting products and music. Which leads me neatly to my final story of the week in the company's section, which is that the song rights of the music of 70s pop sensation Blondie were this week sold to an investment trust. We mentioned it briefly when we covered alternative assets in the big investment a few weeks ago. It's called the Hypnosis Songs Fund. This is the third announcement this week from the Investment Trust, which also bought the rights to Barry Manilow's output and that of Grammy winner Rodney Jenkins. The fund is now £860 million in size and owns more than 50 artists' back catalogues. Okay, thanks, Simon. And on to the big investment this week. We're going to continue our look at bonds and hone in on the world of corporate bonds, which is otherwise known as credit. Now, we discussed some of the basics last week, which is that a lender will give a borrower some amount of money, known as the principal, for a fixed amount of time, which is the maturity, for a fixed rate of interest known as the coupon. The credit rating agencies will then look at the creditworthiness of those bonds and put them into one of two groups. The safer, more creditworthy investment grade group or the less safe, less creditworthy high yield group, which used to be called junk bonds. Now, a key bit of jargon you might hear is credit spreads, which is actually simply the difference between the interest rates of the private sector and the very safe government sector. And the reason why you hear spreads is because if spreads are widening, which is one phrase that you'll hear, that means that the private sector interest rates are going up, which means for the same amount of money, investors are demanding more compensation, which implies that they're seeing risk within the private sector. And the same works in reverse as well. Narrowing spreads means the rates in the private sector are dropping, so investors are requiring less compensation for the for the same amount of money that they're lending. So they're obviously seeing less 
risk in the private sector. So all in all, they represent a measure, spreads represent a measure of the wider health of the private sector of the economy. So what have we seen in the corporate bond market this year? Yeah, so, um, you know, just like every other market, coronavirus had a big impact on this and corporate bonds sold off pretty heavily and, and spreads widened um, pretty sharply. And the reason for this was, you know, the immediate danger that, that lenders saw suddenly, you know, with unprecedented hits to cash flows and revenues, suddenly even safe organisations, there were question marks over, well, you know, are you going to be able to make your interest payment if this if this continues, if this crisis continues? And, you know, will you be able to repay that debt uh, that's maturing? So it suddenly became, you know, lots, lots more risks, a whole, a whole load more less attractive. Couple that then with the fact that organisations had quite a lot of debt going into the crises. Interest rates have been low for a very long time. So they're quite highly levered as well. And that makes them all the more more likely to default or, or not make payments. So um, it sold off pretty pretty heavily. Uh, but uh, intervention uh, changed its fortunes, didn't it? Yes, fortunes reversed as you know, the central banks and governments stepped in with monetary and fiscal policy to support the economy. And part of that is, is you know, central banks encouraging borrowing by by keeping the cost of borrowing low and it and it and it aimed to do that by by buying up bonds and supporting the prices of them so that that yields are kept low um and and what they said was that they were not just going to support government bonds but they were also going to go out there and buy corporate bonds as well and so i guess this has helped the market massively yes absolutely it brought back a lot of confidence to the corporate bond market and um you know particularly in the high quality end of the sector the investment grade bonds with some ripple effect down into to the lower quality high yield um and you know companies started issuing bonds again to, you know building up that that cash pile in order to prepare um so this year we've seen you know around two trillion dollars of, of new corporate debt issued um uh, you know, which is a very, very positive thing. Also, you know, VW now is, is the most indebted company in the world, which I thought was interesting, owing $192 billion, um, making it more indebted than Hungary or South Africa. Okay, what's the investment case here? So I think the case here might really be around income. You know, if investors are seeking that, they might look at savings account and think their interest rates are, are pretty low there. Um, that government bonds also, as we sort of discussed last week, are not really pay- paying anything. It's really about safety there. Um, and then also, you know, income from equities is kind of fraught with some dangers as well. Um, you know, there's the risk to equity markets in general, but but also the dividends have been, you know, largely cancelled this year. Some analysts think that could reach around $300 billion by the end of the year. So, um, you know, so there's a lot of uncertainties there. So that's that's really where maybe the case, you know, for income from corporate bonds might lie. Um, a capital uplift also is is seemingly possible as well. There's been a big recovery, you know, since since the lows. It, um, uh, so if there is any further increases, it, it might be quite modest. Um, but, you know, if the economic recovery continues, we don't get a second wave, then you know, the, the markets will like that. They'll they'll see less of a risk of default. So, so they might increase a little bit off the back of that. Um, um, but equally, there are risks to the downside there. And, you know, if a second wave does hit, then then you're likely to see, you know, falls in, in the price of corporate bonds. But that said, there is some central bank support there because they're buying up bonds. So, so it means that they might not be as quite severe, but, you know, 
who knows that's anyone's guess simon you have been looking at some examples what have you found yeah well let's start with a big well-known fund management group we mentioned them last week on the show when we were looking at government bonds and that's mng the reason i mention them again is that bonds is one of the company's specialities if you like and they run a number of different flavors of bond funds as a consequence. The one I'm going to mention here is the M&G Corporate Bond Fund, no surprise. Uh, Like the government bond fund that we talked about last week that they run, it's aiming to grow your money and provide an income better than all of the other corporate bond funds out there. So it is benchmarked, in other words, it's just compared against the Investment Association's corporate bond group. I'll come back to that in a second. In terms of this fund, it has around 440 holdings and names of companies whose debt it holds in the top 10 are people like Microsoft, at Lloyds Bank and Orange, the telecoms group. Okay, so you mentioned the IA corporate bond sector. Why is that significant? Yeah, well, if you have a look at the corporate bond sector as a whole, the investment platform Hargreaves Lansdowne uh, has a fund filter on its website, and that tells me there are 123 separate corporate bond funds to choose from, and that sounds like a pretty long list to look at. However, two things to note. Firstly, uh, not all funds in the sector just own corporate bonds. Some actually own government debt as well. Uh, the Lion Trust Monthly Income Bond Fund, for example, is mainly corporate bonds, uh, although currently the biggest holding in the portfolio is an 8% treasury bond government debt. Uh, Not critical, but worth noting. Uh, The second point, and we've never really uh, kind of talked about this before on the programme, is that when you look at funds, it can get a bit confusing, as a single fund can have several different types or sleeves, all of which can act a bit differently. Okay, that does sound unhelpful. What are the differences? Well, to start, uh, most funds have two different versions. Let's take another example, the Merion Corporate Bond Fund. This one uh, invests in at least 70% uh, investment-grade corporate bonds, and, and it's got an aim of giving you a return greater than a group of other similar funds, essentially. Uh, But this has two versions. There's income units and accumulation units. Now, income units, uh, as the name suggests, are designed to pay you an income. So any money that the fund receives itself is paid out to you as an investor. Uh, Usually, if you hold your, your units, as they're called, in the fund, in a share dealing account, the income is just paid into that account. Uh, in this case, in the case of the Merion Fund, it's four times a year. Uh, and then you can use that money to buy other investments, or theoretically, you could withdraw that money into your bank account, uh, depending on the kind of uh, share dealing account that you have. The other type of units are these accumulation units. In this case, you don't get an income paid to you, but instead the money is used by the fund manager to make more investments in the fund. The idea is that if you don't need that kind of regular income being paid to you, the value of the total fund grows instead. Okay, straightforward enough. 
Are there any other differences? Yeah, well, this is where it can get uh, a bit complica- complicated. Um, and it's often quite actually, or I found it anyway, quite hard to find exactly what you're looking for as a consequence. So as well as these income and accumulation units, funds can be split up into distinct sub-products. And these are called share classes. And this essentially relates to the different types of investor who might buy a fund and the charges that they might have to pay. So what this does is that it allows fund managers to essentially run one fund, you know, it's got the same investments in the portfolio, but offer different charges to different clients, and actually better charges to some clients. I mean, I know that sounds unfair, but essentially all they're doing is offering discounts to bigger players. So, you know, here's an example, if you're a pension uh, trustee, and you've got, you know, tens of millions of pounds to invest, you would probably buy what's called an institutional share class. And that has lower fees, usually, than a retail share class, which is what you know you and I would buy. Um, and that's basically just because they're a bigger investor. And how can you tell share classes apart? Uh, it's not that straightforward, is the, is the short answer. There's a lettering system. Uh, the complication is that fund managers don't all use the same letters for, for reasons I just can't fathom. So in some cases... An R share class, the letter R, uh, could be the retail one. That would make sense, R for retail. But in other cases, it could just be called the A share class. So if you're looking at these kinds of funds on a fund manager's website, they may well show all of the available share classes, irrespective of the type of investor you are. Uh, Now, it's important because, as we know, differences in charges mean differences in returns, especially over the long term. There is some good news, and that's that investment platforms help filter some of this nonsense out. Uh, I looked at the Halifax share dealing platform, for example, and when you're buying funds, you choose the name of the fund manager first, and then they show you a list of all of the appropriate ones for uh, that fund manager that you can choose from. So it filters out the ones that you um, aren't able to buy. Interestingly, when I looked at Halifax, the M&G and Lion Trust uh, funds that I talked a moment uh, ago about, they're on the list. For some reason, uh, the Merion one wasn't. And that'll just come down to each individual platform making their own decisions. The last confusing part is that fund managers have different legal entities, different companies essentially, running their funds. So on the Halifax site, there were three versions of Lion Trust to choose from. Uh, That's ridiculous, I know, but it's just the way it is. There's different legal entities running different parts of the Lion Trust estate, if you like. Basically, all you've got to do is you've just got to go through each one to find the actual fund that you want. Okay, good on funds there. Just quickly, what about investment trusts and ETFs? Uh, The short answer here is yes, you can get investment trusts that invest in corporate debt. Head over to the AIC.co.uk and use their compare tools on the top navigation uh, you can find them using that one example i might give you will be henderson diversified income that can invest in corporate bonds government bonds and also uh, loans in uh, across the industry in terms of exchange traded funds etfs as we've discussed before there's no industry body for these but there are two big players Vanguard and iShares from BlackRock. Both of these have got tools on their websites allowing you to filter their big ranges 
to see just bonds or fixed income funds as they're also known. Okay, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, just as a little reminder, again, we don't know your your personal circumstances, so please don't view any of this these as a as a recommendation. Really, this is a, just a chance for us to talk through some examples of the, the types of strategies we've been discussing in the pod. Okay, great. Thanks for that, and thank you for listening. Do join us again next week. In the meantime, check out our other pods on your podcast channel of choice, and don't forget to subscribe. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.